mine was just basically humor. I, I would, you know, I, I would, I would just like, you know, honestly make jokes about how my living was, you know, like I wasn't the richest. And so I made jokes about how poor I was. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't the most athletic. So, you know, I was, I was always making jokes about like how lazy I am, you know, like I wasn't the smartest. So I would always make jokes about how, how dumb my classes were, you know, like that was, that was the thing as a kid. Like I, I would always find ways to like, uh, make fun of myself in one way or another to just make sure that like everybody was comfortable around me right and so like that's how I dealt with things and uh you know obviously you you grow up and you start finding out that's not always always going to be the best way to like handle your problems um and you know doing that like I, I developed into you know other things like you know other coping skills like drugs and alcohol at a very early age and of course like um, all that sort of stuff and it was more of uh, that would be my uh, way of being accepted yeah. you know like getting into that world like because you know you just you you work a job you get a couple bucks you buy some drugs and alcohol you're accepted easy yeah. it was easier than you know having to try and do stuff like be your you know uh, part of that and so that was that was easier for me and so of course you know that was the way I figured that's how the world works That was Kenneth Anderlich this week on the Uncommon People podcast. Hi, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ashley. A few years ago, we set off on a journey to start doing hard things that enrich our marriage, relationship with God, family, and our health. Along the way, we've met a lot of other people who are living intentional, countercultural lives and getting out of their comfort zones. And in each episode of the Uncommon People podcast, we'll discuss parts of our own journey or share inspiring stories from the journeys of others. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Uncommon People podcast. My name is Aaron. I'm glad you're joining us today for what I've been anticipating uh, to be one of the most exciting episodes we've posted. Um, We're talking with my friend, Kenneth Anderlich. And uh, I'll be honest, actually, I recorded the episode today. I'm editing it in the evening and we're going to post it quickly and I'll tell you a little bit about that in a second, Um, but this is an exciting episode. I want to tell you here at the front, um, we are going to be discussing child sexual abuse uh, and Ken's story around that as well as what he's doing to help uh, combat that for future generations. Um, So it could be sensitive to some. Uh, I know that we have some families and potentially some children that listen along with parents. Uh, So just take care as you're listening because we do get into Ken's story um, and uh, and discuss that in a little bit of detail. Uh, Nothing too graphic though. So um, yeah, feel free to stick with us. I just wanted to let you know that at the front. But man, what a great episode. Uh, my friend Ken just recently ran 223 miles from the capital of Austin, uh, Austin, Texas, the capital of Texas, uh, all the way to the coast, Corpus Christi. And um, he was doing that to raise awareness and money for an organization in San Antonio called Child Safe, which is a child advocacy group uh, that deals with children um, that are victims of sexual assault. And so it's an incredible, incredible story. We talk about Kenneth's story uh, and his growing up, um, stuff that ranges 
from abuse that he experienced himself all the way to drugs, alcohol, and even jail time. Um, so all of that is uh, going to be discussed in this episode. And then we transition to talking about Child Safe and what he did to raise awareness, which is just an insane story, um, a, an incredible athletic endeavor. And um, Ken's someone that I've admired as a runner for quite some time. He lives here locally. We've been connected on Strava for a bit, um, uh, but we just recently have got to know each other in, you know, in person. Um, we have a lot of mutual friends friends and things of that nature. But I can tell you, he's just one of the most down to earth people I've met. Uh, incredibly humble and a very, very hard worker and clearly has a ton of grit um, because you can't just run 223 miles um, without that. So um, so it's an exciting and engaging story. Please feel free to share this episode. Um, and I want to direct you to uh, road to healing.org. That's road, the number two healing.org. That's Ken's website uh, where you can read more about his story and there's links to the organization that he's supporting child safe. Now, normally I don't record, edit, and post an episode in one day, um, but Ken is still in his fundraising window for child safe to receive donations based on his campaign. Uh, that campaign ends November 30th. It is November 28th today. So I record, I got with him as quick as I could after his race. Um, the holidays, obviously last week and everything, but you still, if you're listening to this, you still have two days. If you're listening to it before November 30th or on November 30th to donate on Ken's behalf to child safe. Um, you can do that again at road to healing.org. There's a direct link. It goes to child safe money does not pass through Ken's hands. It goes directly to the organization, which is what he wanted. And, uh, and you can do that. If you're listening to this after November 30th, you can still donate to child safe. Um, the same way you can go to his website. It's linked to child safe. Um, or you could even, you know, find a local agency. Maybe you don't live in San Antonio, but you live in, Dallas or, or Chicago or somewhere else, and you want to get involved with this cause, it's a very, very important one. Uh, look up child advocacy groups in your area because um, they they need help. Um, and, and, you know, I in here in San Antonio, I had not even heard of Child Safe before Ken uh, started talking about them. So, um, you know, so it's an important, it's an important organization. Uh, so please uh, reach out to your local advocacy group or donate to Child Safe on behalf of Ken. And let's help, uh, let's help combat this very, very important issue of, uh, of child sexual assault, sexual uh, abuse. Um, so with that, I don't want to take any more time. This is a little bit of a lengthy episode, uh, kind of split into two parts. We talk about Ken, his story and child safe at the beginning, and then we uh, switch to talking about his actual run. It's a fun conversation. I encourage you to stick around. Please share it. And uh, thank you so much. Enjoy this conversation with Kenneth Anderlich. All right, Ken. Hey, welcome, man. Thanks for... Uh, joining me today thank actually, you actually i'm joining you you're joining me because we're your you're house. here you're here with my me. podcast your house you're but in my shack thanks for uh thanks for opening up your spot and uh sitting down to talk with me i really appreciate it i gotta ask first how you're feeling i'm feeling good feeling a little bit better than i was last week but yeah 
Yeah. So you're we're um, we're a week out from week completion. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Legs pretty much back to normal. No. Or are you still? No. 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 I've already talked to my coach. My coach told me, uh, yeah, give it about another couple more weeks. You'll start feeling back to normal. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it's understandable, and we'll talk about why you're feeling the way you are, but. Uh, I wanted to thank you for one, just for s- sitting down with me and talking about this. And um, you've been that we we met, I don't know, probably two or three weeks, no, two or three months ago, I yeah. think for the first time. And uh, it's been cool getting to know you and getting to know your story a little bit. I had no idea when I met you originally that um, what you were planning to do, my friend Aaron, the other guy that was going to run 100 miles, yeah. uh, his race got canceled. But um he when when you left that day we got, we had that big group run he was like man did you know that guy is like getting ready to run 200 miles or something like that I was like, what? but i guess we've been strava friends for a little while but uh but it's cool it's been cool getting to know you so um appreciate it but i wanted to to talk to you about just all this stuff that's gone on in the last uh well it's probably been months and months for you but um specifically within the last week and a half two weeks uh this big run that you did um, but first I wanted to talk about why you did this. So for those that don't know, you ran 223 miles, uh, the capital of the coast course from Austin, Texas to Corpus Christi. Um, but it didn't just start as some big lofty running goal. You had a purpose, you had a plan. So, um, tell me a little bit about you and, um, and kind of, you know, your athletic history, uh, before you actually took on this big endeavor. Uh, yeah, I, um, uh, I think, uh, you know, I struggled with a lot of things, um, as, as a kid, definitely struggled with some of my own personal demons as far as like, uh, you know, the trauma that's happened in the past. I've struggled with, uh, homelessness and poverty, um, drug abuse, um, going through prison, uh, that sort of thing. But I think one of the things that, um, it's really hard for me to bring to surface before all this was, you know, going through child sexual abuse. Um, that was, that was probably one of the things that, uh, was the last house on the block to kind of, you know, mm-hmm. bring up to people like, yes, that's happened to me. Mm-hmm. I think part of it was just, I didn't want to embarrass my family. I didn't want to embarrass like people around me. Um, I think deep down inside, you know, it was just like, I knew that it was going to have to be something that was going to have to be brought to surface. But uh, I think the fact that, you know, when it happened, uh, it was as if like, if it was like a spur of a moment, kind of like this, you know, it happened. And, you know, of course, my mom, you know, she when when I told her about it, like, of course, she called the authorities and the, cops showed up and the detectives and they showed up in suits and guns and badges and you know they started questioning everybody and you know it happened so quick and you know it's like one thing led to another and you know I just kind of forgot about it yeah and uh kind of like let it sit there and uh it was never talked about after that it was Mm -hmm. it was rarely like as if I never was brought to counseling because like I don't know who advocated for me, but maybe it was more of like, it's okay. He's okay now. And, you know, that sort of thing. And so swept under the rug a little bit. Yeah. And so, uh, and I I don't blame the things that happened to me. Then I don't blame that occurrence. You know, obviously Mm -hmm. I've, I've had other things that I've dealt Mm -hmm. with, but you know, I I do, uh, I do believe that, uh, 
there have been people who who've gone through this and you know have struggled through their adolescence mm-hmm. and struggled in a form of like you know like hey where this has happened to me and mm-hmm. like this is not normal for a child mm-hmm. you know and so it's like how this was a trend from mm-hmm. 80s 90s yeah. early 2000s and and finally like you know it's starting to come to surface on like a lot of different ways where it's like we need to address this and and take care of our most vulnerable because honestly i mean like this happens to a kid and then you just go ahead and close the door on this Mm -hmm. matter um and then let the family find a way to handle it well you don't know what the intentions of the family are like they may they may want to hide this you know they may want to put this away and be like well we don't everything is good now he's good now or she's good now we're good now like and it's like I that's mean, not, that's not okay. It's not. That's yeah, well, it's okay. not. It's yeah. Yeah, I uh, I think about it from the perspective of like alcoholism or something else. Uh, even even at times, you could have a person who maybe you have a, a parent that has overcome something that their child doesn't know about, yeah. and then if the child is wanting to address it, the parents like oh, I don't want to because then I have to face my own. Definitely. You know, so you never know what kind of situation like that. Yeah. Uh, do you know the statistics about? Um, how many kids are affected by um i i don't know the well i i know i know the the numbers usually from i don't know exactly per se how many kids that um like if you put all the kids together how many have been affected by it but i can tell you that um the numbers that have been displayed in front of me from the fact sheet of uh child safe um which is a child advocacy center Mm -hmm. that but they've uh they displayed to me that 75% 75% of children who have been um, through a traumatic event with child sexual abuse um, either go through some sort of uh, behavior that can, you know, obviously it's not, uh, it, it's not, it's not productive. Mm-hmm. It's not anything that's, it, you know, obviously it's something that, you know, it makes a, a child's uh, life really hard um, yeah. to the point where they can also become um, a predator. Yeah back to themselves and it's like an ongoing cycle you know and uh, that's 75 percent and that's those are very uh, hard numbers to swallow especially you know um, what I heard in Bear County is that we we are one of the top cities that you know obviously uh, go through uh, child sexual abuse Mm -hmm. a lot so it's like yeah we have a high number in Texas it's not something that to be proud of and so um, it's good that you know something like child safe can be here, be present and kind of just, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious, uh, with you, you know, and I, and I don't want to push any, any further into, uh, any kind of the history of you. Um, but I, I do want to know, like, do you remember back when you were going through all that kind of your mental state of what, of how, of how you felt about yourself just in general? Um, in dealing with that stuff because you mentioned not having an advocate um, which we'll talk about the way that child safe is is advocating here in a couple minutes but i'm just curious like from the perspective of of a child since you've been there do you do you have any recollection of how you felt about yourself and i don't know how old you were like you know i hate to sound so uh dramatic about it i hate to sound like as if like it was just uh but you know something like this happens it's it's as if something is stolen from you or Mm -hmm. robbed from you and so it's like an identity Mm -hmm. about yourself sometimes and that's only for me um 
and so growing up i had a hard time like finding a place to belong mm-hmm. um you know it's like uh you care you're carrying this weight around and you see all these other kids and you know obviously i'm i'm still a kid nonetheless you know it's just mm-hmm. but uh you know it's like I, i'm one of the i'm one of the kids that you know do carry um that that weight around uh mm-hmm. that may that may not be addressed because of the fact that um prop, wasn't properly serviced right mm-hmm. you know it wasn't something that was like talked about counseled about you know mm-hmm. um it wasn't something that was like hey this happened to you and uh you know i'm i'm, I'm a professional at this and mm-hmm. you know i want to talk to you about this and i want to i want to see if you know you're ready to quite if you're ready to let this go because uh it happened i think i want to say like 25 oh, maybe maybe like 20 <sighs> maybe 22 years ago, 25 years ago, it yeah. happened. And, you know, um, so when so it happened, roughly seven or eight, yeah, it was seven yeah. or eight. And, uh, you know, it's somewhere around there. And, you know, it was like, um, you know, when it happened, it happened with somebody that like my, you know, my mother completely trusted. And so it's like, uh, you know, it was like really tough for her. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it was like really tough for me to trust yeah people that like you know sure. come in within my life and so it was it was a big it was a big thing for me as far, far as trust issues i still yeah. have trust issues but <laughs> but i mean like uh but still i mean like still today though uh, i think that there are still things that i deal with um that of course you know um can help out with yeah. as i grow and you know start being more self-aware of these yeah. things so you're talking about this now like you're you're and I don't know what the trajectory has been, whether or not you've talked about this a lot in the past with your own personal story, but I'm curious, did you, do you remember like when it first got addressed in your own life, was there any person around you to say, essentially, I hate to use the phrase because of the connotation it has socially now, but was there anyone around that said me too? Like, that was like, Hey, you know, I've been through this as well when you were younger. No, I think I, I, well, uh, you know, when something like this happens, it's like, uh, you feel like, uh, you should be embarrassed of it. Even like when you develop some sort of masculinity, it's like, you don't want to, you don't want to bring it to surface because you feel like you're less masculine. Right. You know, you feel yeah. like people will look at you less of a, of a man. Yeah. And I think that's even harder for, uh, yeah. uh, you know, it to happen to a male because it's like, uh, especially you, you, you even may come to terms that you may need help. But yeah. the fact that if you come to the wrong person, they may feel like you're less than right, and yeah. it's a, and so you already feel less than so mm-hmm. if you bring it across somebody and they just you know of course you know they make fun of you about yeah, it yeah. or whatever the case is you know it's it's a joke and a topic that uh people tend to uh throw around and of course like you know nowadays there's there's so much of this going on with you know the epstein case and whatnot yeah. it's like um i don't know if that's a, a godsend where actually this Epson, Epson right, case yeah. was like now it's like it's brought up so much that maybe it's going to become more common like man like all like unfortunately like people have been through this and yeah. now it's like we are starting to see celebrities who who obviously use their power um yeah. to to take you know take advantage take of that people, and it's yeah. like um you know i didn't have i didn't have a celebrity do this i yeah. had you know, uh, just somebody who it's came across and it was like, 
um, yeah, like this person took this from me and, uh, I didn't, yeah. and it, it's been a while, but I'm starting to be able to talk about it now. Mm -hmm. And I want to be able to let other people know around me, like, Hey, um, you have to come to terms about it with yourself. You have to be honest about it with yourself. So you can you know, obviously bring yeah. this to terms and come to terms about this and then, you know, get past this hopefully, but I'm not here to be that life coach. Just an sure. example yeah. out of my own life. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and some people I feel like are meant to just tell their story mm -hmm. and that's the power and then point people to the, the right place to get help or to find solace in those situations. So, you know, I, I can definitely attest to that where I feel like occasionally the stories that I have, you know, while may seem insignificant to some people or, or significant to others, uh, part of what I do is just kind of point people in the right direction for yep, help, definitely. you know? And, and that's a very powerful tool because a lot of times, you know, it's, it's like they say sometimes, uh, uh, like professional people or, uh, really skillful people might not always be the best teachers, exactly. you know, because they don't know how to teach. And that's kind of how I perceive myself sometimes. <laughs> like <laughs> I can, I can uh, show you the yeah. right place to look where I learned. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so do you remember how old you were? Like when you opened up, did you open up to your mom right away? Like, uh, I think I, 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 yeah. I mean, I talked to her about it because it came up in a conversation. Like I held on to it. Like, I don't know if I should bring it up because obviously it was like something that like, you know, as a kid, it was just like, you, how do you, how do you yeah. process this? This was something that like, wasn't exactly, you know, this isn't like, you um you took a cookie out of the cookie jar or anything like that this yeah. dealt with another human being right. that she trusted that she yeah. like you know went out with and she and the was implications like, could impact their life right. significantly and yeah. so it was like uh how do you bring this up into the point where it's like i don't want to i didn't want to like uh i guess ruin a friendship in that sort of sense um and but at the same time it was just brought up it was yeah. brought up and uh you know, then she wanted to talk about it. Then she took action, you know, yeah. immediately she took yeah. action because, right. uh, I mean, I, it, wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't her you. fault, her, yeah. right? It wasn't her fault. It was, it was the fact though, that she really did like blame herself. Like she yeah. really took it pretty bad, mm -hmm. you know, and that made me feel bad. And maybe that's part of the reason why I didn't want to yeah. bring it up anymore after that. Like she really like felt bad about it. Like she was just like very nurturing about it afterwards. But, uh, you know, I, I, and then afterwards it was like, it was done. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, but I don't think there was a follow up. you know, yeah. I don't think there was anything like, Hey, like, how are you doing? Like, and so, you know, after that, you know, as time goes, you just start, uh, hearing other stories or you start hearing like, you know, how shameful it is and right. how, mm -hmm. you know, and then, you know, you're around other kids and they joke about stuff like that. And they're just like, and it's like, you don't want to bring it up because you're you're in this culture of other children yeah uh other than like you know and so you're growing up into that right, right. uh you know and when you hear it as jokes you you almost i think you you tend to realize that it's not a laughing matter but at the same same way yeah you, you it's obviously feel like it is a laughing yeah. matter yeah no i i get that for sure and and it's kind of it, we've heard the phrase thrown around in the last couple of years about locker room talk and stuff yeah like yeah, that, yeah, you yeah. Know? but it's Definitely. just I mean, it, it's not, I don't know. It's not kosher in that way. And that, that does, that does play into the, the idea of kind of 
suppress, and I'm not a psychologist or or psychiatrist or anything like that. I mean, I'm just a person, but, but it does play into that idea of suppressing, you know, kind of shame and anxiety, which I'm very familiar with. So, um, but, but I'm, I'm glad that, you know, for you, it sounds like it was a pretty swift move to protect you. Like once it, got out in the open it was a swift decision and I, li- I like to use uh like as most as most uh people that are, you know go through trauma we find a some sort of defense mechanism mine is like you know obviously humor you yeah. know i like to find humor in a lot <laughs> that's of that's why you're the meme guy right <laughs> uh, and uh so i mean like uh as as a child you know it's like uh you just find any which way to to find some sort of defense mechanism regardless of whatever it is and so um mine was just basically humor i mm-hmm. i would you know i i would i would just like you know honestly make jokes about how my living was you know mm-hmm. like i wasn't the richest and so i made jokes about how poor i was mm-hmm. i wasn't you know i wasn't the most athletic so you know i was I was always making jokes about like how lazy I am, yeah. you know, like I wasn't the smartest. So I would always make jokes about how, how dumb my classes were, you know, like yeah, that yeah. was, that was the thing as a kid. Like I, I would always find ways to like, uh, make fun of myself in one way or another to just make sure that like everybody was comfortable around me. Right. Yeah. And so like, that's how I dealt with things. And, uh, you know, obviously you, you grow up and you start finding out that's not always, always going to be yeah, the best yeah. way to like handle your problems. Um, and you know doing that like I I developed into you know other things like you know other coping skills like drugs and alcohol at a very early age and of course like um all that sort of stuff and it was more of uh, that would be my uh way of being accepted yeah you know like getting into that world like Mm -hmm. because you know you just you you work a job you get a couple bucks you buy some drugs and alcohol you're accepted easy it was easier than you know having to try and do stuff like be your you know uh, part of that and so that was that was easier for me and so of course you know that was the way I figured that's how the world works so when did you first do you remember how old you were when you first experienced like drugs and alcohol uh, I think I was like I gotta say like 12 yeah and was it just by way of a friend or happenstance or you no like, definitely like what are y'all doing what do y'all what's going on I I it was just like a flip of the switch like I was I got tired of uh you know I, I was running track for a little bit and I was doing some skateboarding and uh you know I, I I did both of those at the same time and track was just seemed like it was like so so much more disciplined than what my life actually wanted uh, wanted it to be mm-hmm. and I was actually pretty good at it I did the mile run and uh I actually got into skateboarding a little bit more because of the fact that the the culture there was just like you know just yeah. wear some baggy clothes and right. just you know it was appealing yeah just talk some mess and yeah. you're good <laughs> And, uh, and then of course you get in there and then, uh, they take, uh, of course, like I figure out like, you know, oh, this guy's selling this and drinking that. And like, I was like, oh, okay. And so I started using some money to, you know, get into that. And it was so easy to get accepted. Like, and then you found yourself into parties like these. Right. Um, and at the age of like 13 or 14, you were just able to like hang out in parties and, yeah. you know, you felt like an adult, you felt like you belong, you, you felt like you had a voice. Yeah. And so that was, that was probably what I was ultimately seeking for is to, at that time, feel like I can be myself, yeah. you know, and like be accepted. And of course, then, um, it, it of course dropped out of high school and that sort of thing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, from there it was like, uh, at the age of 17, I got my GED and, 
uh, started becoming the Dairy, Dairy Queen master instead. <laughs> and what, uh, didn't, what made you get the GED? Like, I know a lot of people that would drop out would just be like, uh, yeah. it doesn't matter, you know. I, I Did figured you have something I, that. No, I figured that that's what I was. Uh, that that's what my mom wanted. My mom uh, was still around at that time, and she said, "If you're gonna drop out, and you're gonna start working more. I want you to get a GD." Mm-hmm. So you know, of course, I paid for the testing and all that other good stuff, and uh, got my GED knocked out. And then, um, yeah, I mean, it was only because my mom asked me to. Yeah. It wasn't because like you know it was like something that. And when you got it, so I know, but our listeners don't know. But your mom passed away. Yeah. How old were you? I was 20. 20. Okay. So you got it before she passed away. Yeah, I got it okay. before she passed away. Uh, and then, you know, it's funny. I got my GED and she was like, okay, good. All right. You know, you can go to work. You can yeah. do whatever you want. She already knew. She already knew why I was working. She already knew the whole thing. Um, I think uh, she just wanted me to she, at least have some yeah. sort of accomplishment before right. I started putting my life down the toilet. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then... Uh, you know, things started getting a little worse for her as far as her health conditions. And then she ended up passing away when I was 20. Yeah. And, uh, of course, then, like, by that time, I'm uh, I'm working at strip clubs. And I'm not – I wasn't a stripper. I was <laughs> I was the yeah, bathroom yeah. guy. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I started working there and yeah. uh, started getting into, like, heavier heavier stuff. And, yeah. and that's kind of yeah. – Yeah. So, so uh, obviously, uh, we've talked before, and, and you know that my mom passed away as well at a young age. So I know that that's – I know what it's like. I wasn't 20. I was 30, but, um, but I, you know, they're still incredibly young. And so I, I get what it's like to try to have to cope with that. Uh, I'm still figuring out myself, but, um, did you, so you mentioned you were already pretty much into, into trouble at that point, like before she passed away. Do you feel like that was a, a catalyst further, like her passing away and not really, understanding or, uh, or, or did it not i mean you were kind of already in the weeds and, and yeah i mean like i i got in trouble at a very early age too i mean like i went to ju- uh, i went to um juvenile detention center when i was like 14 or 15 twice mm-hmm. uh one for breaking inside a car another one for possession of marijuana and that was before i even turned 18 mm-hmm. um yeah and then of course uh going into my 20s uh getting into heavier stuff uh you know i actually went to go join i I went to go apply for the army over at fort fort sam and uh took the asfap and actually uh tried to quit doing drugs during that time so i was i i I got off of drugs and during that week i took my asfap and got like i think like a very low score like a 55 or 60 or something like that they had some of the questions were like if gear a turns this way and gear b turns this way which way does gear c turn and does gear c turn faster than gear a like (laughs) questions like that that you don't want to ask somebody who's detoxing off of something and so it's like uh but i i I was able to get in and all i had to do is pass a drug test and and unfortunately like during that week um you know, uh, the, the the drugs got to me, and I, I end up, uh, some, you know, conceding into feeling like I needed to do it. And of course, uh, breaking I, I get caught up breaking inside somebody's garage, taking something, and I get caught. And it was called a burglary of habitation. And uh, yeah, that was like 12 years ago. Um, and then uh, they put me on probation, and of course, like I'm not doing yeah. good on probation. Uh, end up doing three years in TDC, Texas Department of Criminal Justice, and uh, get out. And of course, like that was an ongoing cycle for myself because it was like 
you know, I tried to, I tried to cope with life uh, any which way. I would get out of prison and then, like, try to deal with the problems that were undealt with, like some of my untreated alcoholism and whatnot. And so I was, like, doing different things, like, you know, I'm going to start reading self-help books. I'm going to start, you know, uh, listening to gospel. I'm going to start quoting Bibles and yeah. stuff like that. None of that stuff worked. None, yeah. of, none of this stuff at, uh, worked because I wasn't being quite honest with myself. That was the thing. I wasn't being yeah. honest with myself that... I had problems that needed to be d- dealt with, yeah. right? Nobody has pointed that out to me that you mm-hmm. need us to start being honest with yourself and uh, start really believing the fact that like you have a problem, not with just drugs, not right. with just alcohol, but you have a problem with a lot of things that have been dealt with in your past. Yeah. And until you're ready to do that, you're going to keep on going on this ongoing cycle mm-hmm. of being homeless, prison, or, you know, whatever the sure. case is. Yeah. And so it's like, um, so yeah, I mean, like there's, it was a hard pill to swallow because by the time I turned 27 is when I actually got sober. Um, so I, I got sober about five years ago and, uh, and that was, I think when I turned sober, when I got sober, turned sober, when I got, when I got (laughs) sober, um, there was a lot of honesty that had to be taken upon myself. And one of the things was like, of course, what happened in the past as a child, Mm -hmm. right? Um, yes, I was honest about it. Did I bring it up to surface? Only when I talked to other alcoholics who've suffered through that. Yeah. Right. But um, that needed that, you know, of course, when I would talk to them, they would need some sort of like common ground, like, hey, yeah. that's happened to me. Right. And yeah. so they can trust you. Right. It's and, to you. and so doing that um, kind of like resurfaced everything and I was able to talk about it more. And then, of course, like, I'm like, OK, so this is an issue sooner or later i'm gonna have to deal with this right Mm -hmm. and so as years go every year it was something that was like unraveled to me either through a relationship that i had a failed relationship with Mm -hmm. friends family or loved ones right or the reason why i couldn't hold down a girlfriend or i have trust issues something went back to that issue right and so it's like okay i need to continue working on that issue in order for me to like have a full on happy, successful life. Cause isn't that what we all want? Right, we right. want to be able to like live with some sort of happiness, some sort of peace. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I want to be able to be like, you know what? Like I can look at myself in the mirror and be like, you know, it's happened to me mm-hmm. and like I can bring it to surface and I don't have to be ashamed of it. I can joke, joke around about it with myself. Who knows? But it's the fact that like I can get past this and be like, you know what? Like I just want to be an example. Yeah. I don't want to be a leader. Right. I don't, want to be an activist i don't want to like yeah i really don't know if i can even be a voice i just want to be an example like this happened to this guy right and it took some time but you know until he was able to kind of really submit himself to this yeah uh that's when the healing started absolutely absolutely yeah well and and to address what you just said i i i do think you can be a voice and the reason i think that is because uh you're already being a voice right now uh, so let's talk about that and 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 why you picked Child Safe, okay. um, which is an organization here in San Antonio. Obviously, we know why because you were affected by child sexual abuse, uh, and they advocate for uh, children. And it, it goes without saying uh, they they you know deal with San Antonio and they're kind of focused on our area, but. There's organizations like this in every, probably every major city and, and major metro areas, uh, probably not even major areas. There's 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 organizations like this that reach into most communities yeah, within definitely. the country. So um, 
what does child safe do specifically that you didn't have when you were younger um and how are they uh how are they filling in a gap that you wish you would have been filled in for you i think some of the main things uh that when i when i took a tour over there um before starting road to healing um i wanted to i didn't even have the name yet road to healing right i just i took a tour over there because we discussed about it and they're like why don't you come over to our place and we'll talk about some of the services we provide and then we'll get a feel of it and then you'll get an idea of like if you really want to do this and i was like cool so stop by over there and i saw some of this stuff and like it like I guess like I was a little jealous because like, but at the same time, it, it like, I was also like overwhelmed with the, the stuff that has developed and the knowledge and the experience that has developed from, from the system failing children yeah. from, from the past. And this is like a system now where it's like, we have so many bases covered for these children in so many different directions uh, that we, it's like as if, you know, we are here primarily only for the sake of this child so that they can heal yeah right and because they obviously cannot just stop yeah. uh child abuse they want to that's their mission yeah, is to yeah. just eradicate child abuse uh from san antonio but there it seems like some of their main focus is is strictly to heal the child right mm -hmm. the aftermath and it, but they first you know obviously talk about like getting the story from the child and the child obviously um, having to, you know, speak about like, you know, what happened. And they just ask that child once, <laughs> you know, like, hey, what happened? And uh, it's their approach on how they do it. You know, they said one of the things that failed the, the, the system of how they failed the child is they would ask the child and the child would have to be asked the question over and over and over, reliving yeah. that trauma, right? And then it wasn't that one year. It was the next year over and the year after that. So, you know, the court would just continue asking the statement over and over and over, right? And uh, every year that, that story changes, you yeah. know? And so, they're that, and so they learn from that and they, they found a way where they can, you know, come about it in a sense where they develop this trust with the child so that the story ha just has to be said once so that, yeah. you know, they don't have to relive it again. Um, I think another one is the resources they provide as far as like donations you know sometimes when the child is uh uh taken into account that this could have happened by the breadwinner right of the family yeah. like the, the 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 person who made the money in the family it could have happened from them and so they the the mom or the father whoever has to leave or uh the parent has to leave and uh, they may not make the money that they need to um, they have the resources, they have, um, you know, uh, the donations for the children yeah, so food, that, clothes, yeah, that, that they can thing. leave from that area yeah. and be moved somewhere else. Yeah. Um, they have a direct, uh, department with CPS, mm -hmm. um, in order to, you know, maybe find, uh, some sort of, uh, resources that can help out with, you know, as far as like, you know, whatever the family may need with that. Yeah. Um, I think that one of the other things is the after uh, the follow up, mm -hmm. the child is being able to provide if the child was uh, affected at three years old, four years old, which is pretty young, they um, have this thing where they're able to come back to child safe all the way up to their, the age of 17 or 18. I want to say 18. So let's say that the child has been affected at four years old mm -hmm. and then middle school happens and gets a girlfriend, but has this 
weird relationship. Well, that yeah. child can come back to child safe and be like, hey, I'm feeling this type of way and I don't know why. And they're, they're able to kind of work it out with a counselor or, or, or a yeah. therapist. And I think that's one of the coolest things because, you know, it would, I, I think back at some of the stuff that I wish I can come back to. Uh, if I had, if I received the services from Child Safe like these yeah. kids did, if I can come back, hey, I'm finding myself at the age of 12 or 13 hanging out um, in garage parties, which is perfectly normal, I'm sure, for some kids. Yeah, yeah. But you know, like when I'm around so and so, I just seem to have these big, complete trust issues, and and I don't yeah. know how to come about it. And so it's like, yeah. those were so it's an ongoing like. That was that was one Bring of the biggest your, yeah like your issues or yeah your it wasn't like an open shut kind of case it was yeah. like we're gonna continue helping this child uh, and not forget about him all the way up to the age of eighteen you know? and the important thing about that as you've mentioned is that they establish trust at the beginning so that way the child will come back because mm-hmm. I, I I think you know a lot of times we probably will just our human nature is to if we don't have that place of safety we'll suppress you know so. If you have that guaranteed, like, hey, I know these people are in my on my side. They've done this for me already. Then it's a little more easy to convince yourself to be vulnerable again. The atmosphere is, was beautiful, too. I mean, just going over there and knowing that there's, like, toys all over. You know, they even looked at, like, the paintings. They even said, you see these paintings? These paintings were done by... Uh, I think they said by like UTSA students, it was to calm the yeah. uh, environment, you know, to make sure that the child knows that he's in a safe place. Yeah. Or, you know, that sort of thing. It was like, yeah. we want to make sure that this place is as comfortable and suitable for the child as possible yeah. and nothing else ma- matters. And that was like, you know, they have a big old like gym or not gym. It was like this playground thing in the back and it was huge. I took a picture with it and uh, it was huge. And it was, it was like, you know, like, this place was barely developed this past year. And so it was like, and they've been around since 1992, but they were in a very small office. So, um, Mm. I wanted to make sure that they were put on the map and it's not just by me, but it was like people, people did not know who child safe was until after a road to healing. I had never heard of it. Yeah. And so it's like, it's cool that like, uh, they're getting a little bit more known in the city. They're, and they're here to stay, you know, and they're here to help. Yeah. So, um, so, you've I've heard you mention it already before you've told me directly but there's like levels of of like $50 does this $100 does this a thousand dollars does this can you tell me about that like like what your kind of goals were so my goal I know your goal was ten thousand yeah. dollars what did that encompass uh so ten thousand dollars was supposed to help like 10 to 11 children um get the services from child safe for a full-on year because that's how much it costs 800 and I want to say 820 I, I didn't, I don't remember numbers very well, but like, let's say 850, um, covers a full child services for the year for the year. And, and that includes, uh, counseling, counseling. therapy, uh, any, anything as far as from like, you know, the police investigation, I'm sure. And then, uh, of course, like all the, uh, they yeah, offer. the CPS offerings. Yeah. Um, I'm sure of course it, uh, it helps out with, maybe having a case manager help them maybe find housing if, yeah. if that be the case like you know maybe some sort of um, to just direct them into something uh, yeah. that may help them out in the yeah. aftermath of this okay. and so it's 850 dollars kind of uh, yeah roughly I wanna, for a year yeah and i think or let's just call it a thousand yeah let's just say a thousand yeah. i wanted to and uh i wanted to know that there was going to be 10 children that were going to be able to get this and be provided this without their family ever having to drop a dime and i think the thing is, is that 
I don't believe I, I and the, this is this is where I I get messed up at is that the system does not know that these traumatic events happen by it's not our choice mm -hmm. like i didn't yeah. choose to i didn't pay to get you know this stuff happen to me yeah but why do i have to pay for services in order to be helped right yeah like i didn't pay to to be right i guess like a victim right yeah yeah, yeah. but i have to pay in order to recover yeah and i don't right. get that that's yeah. not that to me that's not fair yeah and um you know i uh, yes and so your goal was 10 children uh, or 10 uh, people that are affected by this, mm -hmm. uh, children affected by this, uh, for a whole year's worth of service was your goal, yeah. which was $10,000. Yeah. Um, uh, did, so, so did you expect to raise that? Like, did you have a time goal on that? Like a year? Did you, or did you were, you were just like indefinitely until I can raise $10,000. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you, you didn't have any idea of what to expect going into this. I, let's just say I didn't have no idea at all, Aaron, like yeah. nothing. I didn't have no idea what I was so doing. I told, like, I, called Charles, I told Charles, I told Charles the minute I called him, I said, I'm a runner. I'm here to run for y'all but I have no idea what I'm doing. I, I'm surprised they didn't hang up on me. Like, <laughs> like literally, I think that that's exactly what I told them at first. And they're like, okay, so what do you want to do then? I was like, I, I want to run X amount of miles and make sure that like, you know, we find a way to funnel any money towards y'all. Yeah. And they're like, okay, so you called the right people. <laughs> so like, uh, and I think like they may have gotten, I don't know if they've gotten crazier calls or if they just figured like they're just going to amuse yeah. me, but, um, uh, they're really kind and uh you know i think after them hearing what i had to offer and then like the trust that was developed between both of us and yeah. seeing like okay like this kid actually he doesn't know what he's doing but he's willing to do what we ask him yeah and that was that was a start right yeah. there that's cool so that's cool so you had this goal of ten thousand dollars and however long it took you to raise it to cover the cost of 10 children to get covered for a full year how much money it's uh november the 29th yeah is that what it is how much money have you raised so far uh from this i want to say close to 17 17 dollars yeah. that's yeah. awesome so yeah. 28th it's november 28th so you so you set this goal of ten thousand dollars not knowing what to expect yeah. and you're at seventeen thousand yeah. dollars and you didn't start raising before the run right i mean well it was uh, open but i think yeah i think uh on accident I, on accident there was like a donation thing people just started plugging money in and it came up to like close to like uh, uh almost close to like nine hundred dollars i was like oh okay cool i haven't cool. even start, i haven't <laughs> even put my running shoes on right? yet and like you know there's people that obviously so, yeah so in three days ish uh, three or four days well, and then plus the, yeah. the week since, I mean, boom, $17,000. I, I That's still, awesome. Man. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I, I think, you know, I can't thank everybody that has helped out. Like I yeah. like to, I would, uh, I'm the type of person who takes a lot of credit for a lot of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And because that's just one of my defects of character. It's like, I like to take credit for everything, yeah, but yeah. like seeing a miracle like this happen, um, it's, it's like, I knew that this was like a team effort. Yeah. Like I can't, I can't honestly say that this was just me. I would yeah. never say something like that sure. because it, this was like something that like 
my crew, the yeah. volunteers, like, you, a you know, squad. just everybody yeah. just really just hitting that share button and just yeah. being like, this is like what this is about. And like, uh, you know, it's like that, that, that was a cool thing, yeah. you know? When did, did you, were you getting updates as you were running or did you get like, you you got to Corpus and they were like, hey, by the way, you're at fifteen thousand. No, whatever. I think um, I think it's good that like I I, I saw the number once. Uh, they they texted me the number once saying like, oh, you're at eighty eight like eighty eight something hundred dollars. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, but my mind was like, I need to finish this while you were running. That right, happened. right. While yeah. I was running, I, I you would get service yeah. on your phone and yeah, I would yeah, check yeah. it real quick, and then they're like, hey, by the way, can it was a group chat between my volunteer, uh, bef- between my crew and um, the staff members of Child Safe, and it would just shoot off ideas, and then one of them said, hey, Ken has raised like eighty eight hundred dollars. Go, Ken, go. Yeah. And I was like, oh, cool. Like yeah. it didn't process, <laughs> yeah. but like I was like, okay, cool. Like I'm almost at the goal. Yeah. But my deal was like i could i could have hit like twenty five thousand, yeah. and i knew like i had to finish this yeah, it was yeah, yeah. it was like my deal with yeah. with like everybody like yeah. if we get to ten thousand, i need to do yeah. 223 yeah and we'll talk about that in a second so i just want to congratulate you on the fundraising man because yeah. i know i've done fundraising before i yeah. even did i even did uh you know a little while back did the goggins challenge to raise yeah. money for uh, the American Heart Association, because my mom Congrats passed from that. heart disease, yeah. and Almost, it's uh. it, it's crazy, yeah, because you you have people donating that you don't even know personally, nope. uh, and I know how difficult it is to for one ask for money, even yeah. if it's for a good cause, yeah, just yeah. to ask for it anyway, yeah, doesn't matter. You could tell your story all day, and it's still for me kind of uncomfortable it is. to to ask it for is. money, but the the energy and just the momentum, the momentum you feel and the whatever you want to call it, good vibes or grace or mercy or whatever that you want to call it from uh, people that are donating their hard earned money to your cause. Yeah. It just blows me away. It does. So, uh, well, let's take a quick break and uh, I, I'm going to talk to you. I want to talk to you about the run actually and, and what all that entailed before we wrap up. But uh, yeah, we'll be right back. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying Ken's story as much as I have enjoyed sharing it. Real quick, if you like this kind of content and you like hearing people's stories, you may like some of our other episodes. Uh, We also have episodes with just Ashley and myself uh, talking about various things that's going on in our lives. So please, on whatever podcast platform you are listening on, subscribe. And if it's an option, we would love for you to give us a five-star rating. It really means a lot, helps the show get noticed. And uh, if you're so inclined, please share this on social media, tag us uh, on Instagram. We are Uncommon People Podcast. Um, you can also visit uncommonpeoplepodcast.com to see more of our social links and some behind the scenes stuff. And I want to also direct your attention to our YouTube channel because we're doing uh, some family vlogs and things of that nature over on the YouTube channel. There's some book reviews, all kinds of fun stuff going on. So we greatly appreciate your support of this of this podcast and please uh, subscribe and follow us other places. Now let's get back to talking to Kenneth about his crazy long run. Thanks so much. All right, we're back from our 20 mile run. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, yeah, there's no way uh, I would have made Ken run. No, uh, I, I got trauma from running right yeah, now. Right. And I want to talk about that because this is just crazy. Uh, 
it's just it's crazy what I mean, it's just crazy. Right. I don't even know, like, I, people that I've talked to about it, I've talked to people at church uh, that saw my, like, shared post about you, and they're like, hey, is your friend done yet? And, and you know, of course, you get the comments like, oh, I wouldn't even want to drive to Corpus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, definitely. Like, I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't even want to run yeah. 26.2 nope. miles, you know, yeah. or, or drive 26.2 miles. So you get those kind of comments. But this is crazy. So 223 miles, mm-hmm. Austin to Corpus. What was the farthest you had run before that in one push, like a race or whatever? Was a hundred? You've done a hundred miler. Was that the farthest? Yeah, it was a hundred miler. I got lost, so uh, it was actually hundred four miles. It was yeah, in okay. California. What what race was that? Uh, it was called uh, the El Loco uh, one hundred, I think. Okay. Loco one hundred. Is that a mountain race or is it like a? It's a, it's a uh, nor- northern mountains over in Butte Meadows. Um, not so much as yeah i mean i would say mountains you're on typically like you know a couple of uh mini mountains okay i want to say all right so i think the first thing that's important to note is that like i mean and and we've talked uh briefly about you not really doing sports that much like you had a little bit of track and field Mm -hmm. and then the skateboarding stuff uh but you weren't running for like you don't have lifetime miles built up really you've been running for three or four years i've been running for three years but you're a legit runner like you're fast <laughs> i mean you're a fast runner you ran uh what was it cactus rose 25 cactus. miles yeah uh a couple like uh, yeah, two months about, ago maybe uh, about and, a month ago and you were fifth overall fifth overall and it was a training run it was like a training it wasn't run. yeah, yeah. It so was. i mean like you're a legit runner and and uh i think sometimes people can look at super long distances and see the average splits and, and think like, Oh, that's, you know, not that yeah. fast, but that's 200 miles. Yeah, it's 200 miles. <laughs> I, but, yeah. but no, but you're, you're a quick runner. What, what other, uh, as far as your running resume, have you, have you done a lot of, I, I've done a, I've I, done I meant a, to look I've, at your ultra sign up. So I, I'm scared of 5k's, believe it or not. Like I won't do a 5k. Like okay. I won't do a 5k just because of the fact that like, it just seems like it's just so like, yeah like we're gonna do five we're gonna do three miles at like you know a 545 yeah, six yeah. minute pace and i'm just like no i don't I really yeah, don't feel like doing that right now yeah but uh you know i'll uh but i've done a half marathon i think the half marathon is like you know it's like i i've never quite uh worked on speed i've done half marathons i've done uh full marathons i think my fu- first full marathon i got a sub three at 259 59 yeah but uh yeah, that was uh Which, that's fast. That's still sub seven minutes. <laughs> I yeah, I uh uh it was my first full marathon. Um there's there's a little drama that happened behind it just cuz uh I I did not race under my bib and so oh, I Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so uh I didn't mean to win it. It was supposed to be oh, a tra- you won. Yeah, I I won it and you uh won your first marathon. Yeah, I was on uh I was on uh and I was on Marathon Investigators uh because they oh, found out man. they they found out that it wasn't me and so I came to uh you know, of course uh they asked me about it and you know, I was pretty up about it because i had a hundred miler uh a month and a half after that and that marathon was just supposed to be a training run yeah and it wasn't i i figured because i was doing marathon training because i had an organ race and i uh it was 100k in oregon i dnf'd yeah and it was because i wasn't working on my pacing right i did a lot of hill climbing i worked on a lot of hill repeats day in and day out and so uh i was doing really good on the hills but the the thing was that i shot out too fast because i didn't know exactly what 
heart rate and yeah, yeah. pacing was because I'm still, you know, right. learning at this. And so learning at that, um, um, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to train at a marathon. And I did that for like two or three months, um, you know, did marathon training. And that was that was cool because it was like a whole different uh, dynamic of, of ways of running and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, uh, I went to El Paso. I did a, did a marathon out there, my first one, uh, and I got first place. Uh, but I didn't, I, I didn't race under my bib. Yeah. So, so they, I, I obviously <laughs> tarnished my name in the uh, in the road running uh, community and the trail running. I had to do a lot of apologies on that. Um, it was it was just basically etiquette. You know, it's all yeah. about etiquette. There's I think there's a rule and a respect that you need to yeah, have yeah. when you're For when sure. you put a bib on that's representing yourself. You know, of course, good sportsmanship. Yeah. Um, and so that was another lesson that I learned. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's like just do things right just right. just yeah. you know just just keep it cool you yeah. know and so uh uh obviously i got disqualified from that race and it was the first dq that i had uh and uh you know after that it was kind of like okay and then COVID hit right because I, I was supposed to do my 100 miler and COVID hit and my 100 miler got canceled out so of course COVID hit and uh you know some injuries started happening and that sort of thing um but you know, I think my running career has always been like basically not so much as like the belt buckle or the medals because I have bags of those things yeah. there. I think it's more the experience. Like yeah. I think one of the things that my whole life has been like fly under the radar, mm. um, just relax, sit on the couch, just yeah, chill. Yeah. I, I was smoking cigarettes over three, uh, like a, l a little around three years ago, I, um, I was smoking cigarettes. And so it was like, when I first got sober, I thought the only thing I needed to do was just, you know, uh, you know, just chill, stay yeah. out the way, get out of trouble and stuff like that. And I just found that really boring for myself, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. So you got into running and that's, I mean, that's hilarious. I can't, I didn't know that, that you just won your first marathon. That's pretty hilarious. But yeah. so how did you get into the ultra scene, like trail running? Um, what made you navigate that way? Cause I just kind of stumbled upon it. Like I was looking up shoe reviews, found a ginger runner on YouTube, started watching all these ultra running videos. I didn't even know it existed. So how did you find it? I, I, uh, when I picked up running, I had a buddy, um, he was, he was training for the Brazos 100K, and uh, he trained only for like the weekend. He like ran a 50K, um, his first 50K uh, a on the road, and I, ran, I helped him with half of it. And I noticed like I, I could do half of it at pretty good pace, um, and feel like I really genuinely felt like I could do the other half, you yeah. know. And so uh, seeing him do that, and seeing that he did that, and it's always people that like are I feel like are kind of at my level, and I see them do it, and I was like, if he can do it, I can do it, right? Yeah. And so like, uh, uh, I think the first month of me running, I ran like my first 50k, like I, I just did it. I was just like, I'm just gonna run from, I don't know, like the Pearl all the way to 90 or yeah. something and back, and I was like, you know, 15 out and 15 back, and yeah. uh, you know, I just <laughs> I I from there like I I've just kept pushing myself and so uh, i didn't know exactly uh what ultra running was until um my my buddy roel kind of introduced me into the trails he took me my first trails i ever ran was bandera mm -hmm. so i didn't run like McAllister or anything he took me straight to bandera and he was like this is this is where it is and so throwing that's like throwing you into the ocean to yeah. learn how to swim, <laughs> and i wanted to cry because yeah. i think i only he was like we're gonna do 12 miles I was like i just ran like 10 out on the road i was like oh yeah we'll do this and so 
Um, I thought I was just like super, you know, like yeah. uh, super elite and whatnot. And he took me out there, and that that trail broke me. Yeah. And all, like so only rocky. three, yeah, only three miles in, and it broke me. And I was like, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to do any more miles. But I, it's not that I didn't want to do any more running. It's just my body literally was like, you're not gonna go any more further. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the that's what I wanted. I wanted my body to tell me like, you can't go any more further. And like ever since then. You know, I uh, I did Bandera uh, 100K. Um, I did it hurt. Um, I remember I had ITBS, IT bands yeah. uh, syndrome, and uh, I did it with like where I had to get my compression sleeve and take it over my knee yeah. so that the IT band would stop disrupting. Um, and uh, I took a, a handful of leaves, and uh, I was able to finish sub 17 and get that lottery ticket um, yeah, for Western States. Yeah, wow. I uh, awesome. was that last year. I think that was my first years. first year of running yeah it's about okay. two years okay three years so ago. Yeah. uh and then you know i worked i got i did some a little bit of uh, uh physical therapy over that and then probably like uh six months after that i did my first hundred miler um my first hundred miler um i i got lost i was shooting for sub 24 and i got lost so i got like 25 hours uh yeah. but uh, I got second place, so yeah. that was that was like you yeah. know one of those things that like uh, I don't know second like, place in your first hundred miles. Yeah, it was just like it was it was dumb. Like I didn't I didn't it was because it was snowing. I never been around snow before, <laughs> so like uh, seeing that and like everything that's happened to me has been luck. Yeah. Like I've just been that lucky guy who's gotten that chance of like you know doing that. I don't shoot for podium. Like I, I don't yeah. really. I, I shoot more for like, I want to see myself crumble at the end. Like yeah. that's like, you know, like I, I want to see how well that my training and the amount of running I put in has, has really, sure. yeah. yeah. And at, at the end, I want to be able to like, just kind of break that barrier of yeah. like, I don't think I can do this. In fact, I know I can't do this, but I'm going to shoot for it anyways. Right. Well, and there, there's definitely an element of luck. I mean, I would, I would argue and say that you you earn your your placement and your fitness for sure because you train it you know but like i get that because i've you know i've i think my best placing at like a half marathon was fourth place over the summer this past summer or this summer uh 2020 and part of that part of the luck aspect of it was that there wasn't a lot of fast people there like <laughs> you know so i got fourth place even though but but at the same time, I had to get my fitness to where I could run, you know, that yeah, quick no. on a hilly course, you know, that kind of thing. So the next one I did after that, our friend Todd showed up and, and won it outright. <laughs> ah, I, uh, I, I think that um, it's good to be around people who are just going to constantly be faster than you. Yeah. It's, I think that's what's kept me uh, interested in this sport. Yeah. Uh, is the fact that like I surround myself around people yeah. you think I'm fast right you right. think that like I, I like but I I have people that I run with that I, I can't even touch right now and For so sure. it's like they they play around with me yeah. and like as if like I'm just like this rag doll and so and, it's like and you had some legit uh you had some legit athletes in your crew Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about your run. And uh, first off, I want to give you the opportunity to brag on your squad because yeah, you had a definitely. stellar, well-oiled machine. So if they want to be named, if they don't, oh, well, but, but yeah, tell me about your, tell me about your crew and like the lead up, the planning to, to this big, huge run. Um, I, I can't, Kenny McInerney, uh, Leroy Garcia, uh, Leroy's girlfriend, uh, Paige, Taylor Page, uh, Arturo. Um, I had, uh, of course, Ben, 
uh, been a Don. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, well, Roel was going to be the named last. It was Roel's girlfriend. Okay. And then Roel, actually, the he was the captain of, uh, of, of them all. And, uh, you know, it was everybody played a part. Yeah. Right? Everybody had some part of playing um, into this, you know, well-oiled machine, like you said. And uh, I think that if uh, everybody pretty much just was constantly being supportive of me, um, sometimes I felt like as if, like, I uh was not appreciative during the run i would be like i'm really biting myself in the ass because i'm like i'm like giving them attitude yeah right like they're like what do you want i'm like why do i have to have something i want let me just sit down yeah, yeah. and like let me have my space <laughs> right. and like uh i'm like i can't talk to them like that yeah. because these people these 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 beautiful people put time and their work aside, yeah. they, they put their life aside to help me out. You know, they, right. they could have been like, you know what? Like I have, and, and like, I have a life going on. I can't take care of this, but like none of them were like, eh, I don't think yeah. I can do this. Like, right. and, uh, you know, they would, they would have to go back to San Antonio and go to work and then yeah. come back again. And they, you know, they would bring food. And of course, Kenny brought his magnificent large pizzas with them and, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. And it was like, it was cool that like uh, everybody just played a part into this and like really made sure that not only were they there for me, they were there for me two steps ahead. Yeah. They knew yeah. that 10 miles down the road, he's going to be, you know, sure. probably needing this, this and that. And let's make sure that we have that provided that way. He doesn't have to ask for it. Yeah. Right. Uh, we want to make sure that every and that was like probably the thing that helped me the most was like everybody made sure that like they met my needs like yeah. and so but at the same time like i was too worried about meeting their needs as well right. they were like you need to quit worrying about us yeah, like yeah. we could take care of ourselves <laughs> i'm like yeah. taking these extra steps around to make sure that they got like you know what they right. oh you know uh so and so doesn't have water i know where the water is and i yeah, would yeah. walk across and go they're like stop walking around right like, well and and it's uh, so i can say as an outsider looking in but also an outsider that came out there yeah uh I saw firsthand how serious they were taking it. Yeah. Like your, your crew was, they were serious. I mean, they were, and, and in the moments where you probably were not all coherently there, like they knew what was up. And, and, and so I, I like when I pulled up there, you know, I, I was following you on the live tracker and I pulled up, I was, I was just kind of watching, kind of trying to synchronize where we could meet up so I could run with you for a little bit. And, uh, as soon as I pulled up, they were all on like alert. Like, why is this car? You were sitting on the side of the road, like right where I found you. I was right sitting on I the side you. of a farm. You yeah. saw me and, in the and, farm. And they were and 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 we had come in from a way where like one of your one of your um, Raúl was up like maybe two miles or so from where I actually met you. But Leroy was there with you and and Ben. Ben and. And as soon as I got out of the car, I mean, they were on alert, like what's going on. And then when we got up closer to Raul, like he, you know, I could tell that he, he didn't know I was coming out there. Of course I had texted mm -hmm. Leroy and all that, but, but you know, he was like, who's, you know, they were, they cared about you. Yeah. And even as we, even as we got to this point where we had to go against traffic on the access road yeah. there in Seguin 
and they couldn't drive behind you because of the way it was positioned. But I was with you and they asked me, like, I don't know if you heard them, but they asked me like, Hey, you know where you're going? Like, you know where to go, right? We're doing this and doing this. They wanted to make sure that you weren't getting off course. Yeah. And they were depending on me in that moment, even though they didn't know they would. Oh yeah. If you're going to be a part of it, you need to. Yeah. Like, you know where to go. You're not going to turn them the wrong way. And so they were, I mean, they were on their game. So did you guys like, so if you go to the capital of the coast, you ran the exact route, right? Like the, as the, as the course, I want to say, much? I mean, I've never done the course before, but I want to say that we pretty much did the exact route. But, uh, I mean, it was basically, we went off this, the map that was on the cap to course, uh, cap to coast website. Sure. So in the, if you go to the website, you can see it's like split up into segments. Did you guys have it like kind of split off into segments where you were preparing for different things in different places? I think so. I mean, there's a, there was a part closer to Austin where there's a road that was uh that was closed off for like a good almost a mile okay and as I was going up there there's construction going on they're telling me you got to go around and how do you tell them like hey I'm running a corpus I'm just now starting I'm on mile 20 right now uh, I'm feeling good can you just let me like yeah like go take 10 steps past y'all and they yeah. had like a bulldozer out finally like they gave in and they backed it up but uh I mean, we had some times where even in Austin, uh, I think Leroy was uh, pacing me and, you know, there's some construction going on over at UT right now. And we had to kind of like, you know, find a way to make it almost as if it was like uh, we took the course. And so, I mean, I think we had the 2018, 2018 map. Okay. So there was stuff that from two years ago um, that they might have not really thought about. But most of it was... Like, I could see it being a course, though. I yeah. could see, you know. Yeah. Well, and the course is not really, the, I guess, the relevant aspect of it all. But I was just curious <laughs> if, you, if you had it split into segments like they do where, yeah. where it's like, hey, this segment's going to have a lot of hills. Or oh, they this. told me about dogs. Yeah, they yeah. told me about dogs. They told me about um, something about Annabelle's Hill or An- An- I don't know. Yeah, uh, I know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't know. I, don't, is, I can't. They kept talking about it. I was like, yeah, dude, they all feel like that right yeah, now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> after after about 100K, they all feel like that. Yeah. So it was like um, they would tell me about these kind of parts of it. And I was part of it was sink in and the other part of it was like, OK, um, I think the worst part of it all was the last 20 miles. Yeah because the, it was it was at night it yeah. was tunnel vision You've it was where got the, 203 I, miles on your yeah so it was like uh they there was a part where it was like where the uh, the windmills were at oh yeah yeah and it was like constant like That's you're near, just kind of corpus yeah and, you're just yeah. like constantly falling yeah. windmills and then in corpus they have all these like they have all these factories and oil uh, yeah. refineries that look like a, a city um that look like a city uh yeah what is like it? Like a like a land like a uh, sky view skyscraper yeah. skyline skyline. <laughs> it looked like a city a city skyline, yeah. and I'm looking at it, and I, uh, I'm like thinking like, is that Corpus? Is that Corpus? Yeah. And it was like it's very like deceiving. A, it's like a false summit, right? Like when you're climbing a mountain or, or going up a big, it's like you think you're at the top, and then you come over the none crest, and them. it's like, oh, there's more. <laughs> none none yeah. of them were none of them were that. Um, do those uh do those windmills freak you out? Uh, I had my headphones in, but when I took them off, you can hear them. Those things. Yeah. Every time we drive by them yeah, at night. They're no good. Yeah. This is, and then you're in the middle of the night. And so I made sure somebody was pacing me. The last, yeah. uh, most, of, most of the time, there wasn't really anybody pacing me. It was mostly just like, y'all just stay behind me. But uh, it was right. the last eight, uh, 40 miles. I had uh, Paige, um, Taylor yeah. Page. She she uh, paced me the last 
20 miles up to 200 miles. Yeah. And then, um, she was doing a great job she keeping did. the group updated as well. Yeah, she uh, she did that. She I think she definitely kept on on making sure that everything was networked. Um, I think uh, Leroy did a, a tremendous job just having to because he he's just like me ADHD. So he <laughs> had to he had to make sure that we were safe and we were behind. And yeah. so he was following behind us or he was uh, playing leapfrog with yeah. Roel on the vehicles to make sure that like what what else do you need. Um, Kenny was also definitely there to, to pace me the last, you know, few miles as well. Um, you know, and so it was like, it was pretty cool to see everybody just kind of come together. I think one of the, uh, I know Roel's wife had to, you know, make sure that, uh, she knew it was everything it was at, uh, Ben and Arturo definitely worked well together. They switched off, uh, cause I would make them, I had them drive all night like they started yeah we stopped at 11 we took like a quick hour and a half close to two hour nap and then we started back up again and i i can guarantee you that probably following somebody for 20 miles uh while they're running at a 10 or 11 minute pace yeah i'm sure it's kind of like you want to go to sleep like you're you're in a vehicle yeah you you gotta be careful i'm sure yeah yeah and and one of the things you said to me when so i got i got to you in seguin which was you were I think between sixty five and seventy miles. Yeah. So I ran four or five miles with you, and um, you were saying to me like, and of course you're already a hundred k in, mm-hmm. you know, longer than I've ever ran, <laughs> and and hadn't slept at that point. I don't think had maybe just had stops to eat and stuff like that. But uh, one of the things you said to me was like, man, I'm feeling good. I'm worried that I'm going to make them drive all night. Yeah. Like when y'all maybe had a plan to slow down or, or stop for a few, for an hour or two, but you're like, I'm feeling good. But I think they knew what they signed up for, you know, like they knew what to expect. So, yeah. But I mean, your crew was, was just stellar. So, uh, I am curious to know, like, what did you eat along the way? I know you, uh, when, when I was with you, you were wanting mashed potatoes, Yeah, mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes, uh, mashed them up in a bag, a Ziploc bag and just ate it like baby food. Uh, I would have Roel's famous chili, um, and uh, of course, like uh, some. I, I think it was like some sort of sausages. I had hot dogs, um, just basically something that I can just scarf down real quick and then just keep on moving. Yeah. Uh, you could have practically put almost anything in front of me. It, it, I was lucky enough to have a digestive system that was working, which yeah. is very important, right? right? Like, and to have an appetite. If you're not, if you don't have an appetite and you can't keep anything down, then you're already done. Like, yeah. that's it. Like you can't, yeah. there's no going back after that. that. Like, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, those are the main things. Like as long as I was able to, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's too graphic, but just digest my food properly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a, that was something that was very important to me to have an appetite, um, to be able to be sweating, yeah. uh, the functioning of a body that should be needing to go as you go. Yeah. Those were the, those were the glimpse of hopes that for m- myself that was like, okay, like I'm right. going to, I'm going to be okay. I'm like my body hurts, yeah, like yeah. everything hurts, but nor, but as long as my body's functioning the way that it is, I'll be able to make it through there. Like it wasn't the pain that was discouraging me, but it would have been like something as far as like, Hey, like he's not able to keep anything down. If you're not able to keep anything down, you're not able to retain energy. If you're not able to retain energy, then you're just going to be running off of fumes. If you're running off of fumes, then you're not last, you're not going to last very long. Get so far. Yeah. So, so you were able to eat well, and that's so interesting to me. That's a part of, of ultra running that I haven't explored. So I've done a 50 K 
I mean, but you can get by on a 50 K with gels, you know, <laughs> uh, I can't imagine like, I don't like running after like lunch or something like yeah. that or after no, eating yeah, breakfast. Definitely. I, I hate running on a full stomach. So the idea of fueling actual big food while you're running is, is kind of crazy to me. Yeah. You'll see footage of me like eating like crackers and like, uh, something nibbling. Like I think I had like a sausage in my, in my pocket. I don't know. Something like that where I was like, I'm going to save this for later. And like, I don't know how many sausages I had in my pocket yeah. <laughs> and like, it was just like, uh, I knew that, you know, that was probably going to be my best bet on finishing this race was just to st keep stuff eating yeah. and then like, keep going, yeah. like just keep walking, keep running, whatever right. the case is. So did you, um, like how, how are you fueling as far as liquid? Were you drinking a lot of water? Were you drinking like yeah, Coke and a, stuff like that? I, I mean, I, I hear stuck on beet juice. Um, like beet, like the beet powder, um, I would stick to obviously water, uh, coffee every like 10 miles yeah. or so. Cause I felt like if it was caffeine. too much, yeah, if it yeah. was too much caffeine and then I loved warm stuff, not hot cause it wasn't hot. Like yeah, yeah. Texas didn't get hot enough for me to need pipe, pipe and hot. So yeah. I was asking like, is it hot? Like, is it steaming hot? Cause I don't need it. Like just put a couple ice cubes in it and then we'll keep on going. Um, I would have soup like a ramen soup real yeah. quick to just kind of put in my body that was warm. Um, and then of course, like, uh, I would have uh, noon. One of my sponsors, yeah. I used noon of I course for, noon. yeah, for electrolytes. And then a Huma, um, Huma was a big, uh, was my, uh, gel my that gel. I used, yeah. uh, my main one, my, basically my only one. Um, and that's then, good. Cause yeah. it's like pretty much solid. Fruit it, you know, almost. yeah, it was, and it the was chia seeds I, really helped. I think, uh, I think all, that acidity yeah. that I had from the, uh, I don't even know if that's a word, but the, uh, acidity, yeah. acidity. <laughs> yeah. uh, from I know the noon mean. and the humor and all that stuff though. I, I had so much not to bash on the name, but I had so much, it was eating my tongue up. That was yeah. my only thing. Like I would could after a while I was like, I yeah, can't, yeah. I got, I've got to now pick and choose when I can eat it because I was like literally like putting in the back of my throat. So it wouldn't burn up my tongue. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So that's, I mean, the, just the idea of fueling. Do you have a ballpark range of how many calories you were taking in? No, I really don't. I yeah. know how much I lost to 25,000, but <laughs> I don't know how much I really gained. I think... Uh, you were taking in enough, though. Yeah, I think I was taking in enough. I think uh, at the last 15 miles was uh, a big problem for me because I think I've lost so much calories. Now, I'm not, I'm not somebody that knows anything about biology, but I, I lost so many calories that I drank so much water yeah. that my body would just hold on to what it got and i think i got a lot of water retention in my yeah. in my feet you so swell and stuff. Like, well just, you were probably s swelling anyway yeah i mean and i mean i still have bruises from my feet but like uh it wasn't as bad as it was like my feet my toes are pretty bony and you know but yeah. like the the fact that like i couldn't like they were just like you literally like you know yeah, yeah. look like this like just a bunch of big toes right next to each other uh wow. vienna sausages yeah and so that was uh that was another thing for me that i was just like yeah you know this yeah. is did you so when did you in the whole time because i mean like i said when i came in at, at 65 miles um uh i think i said i came in at around 65 miles did was it at when at what point were you like man this is getting really tough like you're used to the big, big long runs. And I mean, I've seen in recent weeks, you've ran, you know, 40 mile long runs or something like that. But at what point were you like, okay, I'm in kind of interesting territory and things are pretty tough physically. 
Um, I think every time yeah, I, I mean, w- you mentioned 200 miles, but that was it. It was harder before that. I'm sure at some point. Yeah. There, were- there was times where I would take, uh, some, it was the sleeping. Like you would wake up and know that you had, that was the hardest. you had like, uh, you know, oh man, I have, uh, another hundred miles to go. Like you would wake up from a nap and it was, it was, and it, it would feel like you were waking up for, you slept for like 20 minutes or yeah. maybe like five minutes. And it was literally like 30 minutes, yeah. 45 minutes. And then you knew that after that, like you had about like an hour yeah, uh, or so, I don't know. It was, it's, it was crazy for me. Um, so I, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, like five minutes of sleeping was literally like, like, yeah. 30 minutes. Yeah. And I felt like, what? I only, I only laid my head down for five minutes. Like, no, it was like 30 minutes. You got to keep on going. And so like, that was like, man, this is going to suck. Yeah. So, uh, did you experience, cause I, I've, I've heard interviews or, or seen stuff about uh, people that do crazy long races. One of the people that stands out is Courtney Dewalter. Mm-hmm. Um, and she does like, she's done Tahoe, the 200 or whatever. And they talk about like hallucinations and stuff like that. Did you experience that? At I all? was hoping for hallucinating, uh, hallucinating, uh, hallucinating out on the course. I was hoping for that. Um, I don't know why I was like, yeah, I was, I'm, re- I'm really hoping to be at that point yeah. where I'm pushing my body at, but, uh, I think I was able to get enough sleep at that time, um, yeah. uh, to kind of, cause I mean, that one, that, that's a whole different person yeah. right there. You know, obviously she's, Oh yeah. I you give her like, she, 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 she yeah, she gets, she gets like five minutes <laughs> she, of sleep yeah, and then and that's down it. Yeah. On the trail for literally like two minutes or something yeah. like that and then gets up. So yeah, I, I just, I can't imagine pushing to the point of, of hallucinating. Yeah, I know. That's crazy. Was there anything like bad with your feet or any uh, or muscular, any, you know, any kind of issues that concerned you at all? I think the, all? I think the second, <laughs> second day I had a bandage around my hamstring. Uh, and it was, it was one of those things where, uh, I woke up with this pulling hamstring. And so this bandage was to kind of, uh, kind of cool down the muscle, but it mm-hmm. wasn't sticking. So I got some duct tape and I just wrapped it around with some KT tape and then, uh, I just kept on going. Um, and that was the thing, like you would, I would find a bat, a Ziploc bag to throw ice in and water and you throw your foot in there and just do a quick ice bath on the, Mm -hmm. on the foot. And then you would keep on going because we didn't have buckets to carry around. So it was like, you just made do with what you had and then you just go, went from there. Yeah. So you got to, um, you got to, Seguin on uh, Thursday night and then was there really a big there's not really a big like town obviously there's no big city between here and there but was there other points that were like crucial points for you guys as far as where you stopped or whatever or was it pretty much just all country back roads like you stopped where you could I uh I mean, it was basically stopping where you could. Yeah. Uh, we we had a cop pull us over. Oh, I saw that. And it was on private property. Yeah. And he was like, "I just want to make sure y'all are good." And uh, of course, we sent Taylor there because she's just you know yeah. she's like sweet and yeah, yeah yeah like just sent her over there to talk to him. And then finally, he came up to us. And he was like, "Is everything okay?" And I think he just wanted to see what the welfare of us were yeah, and yeah. Uh, if see if we were broken down. I think there was a couple of times where people just like pulled to the side and like, "Are y'all good?" And it was just like them tending to me. Yeah, yeah. But people thought we were just broken down cars. Um, and I mean, it was like one of those things that happened where, yeah, I mean, 
we stopped in a very odd spot. I have a picture of uh, them. We found an abandoned restaurant that the owner let us kind of make a campsite out of for like a couple hours. Wow. Yeah, and just kind of like we're going to cook here. And then it was like almost 100 miles out from the destination point. It was like 120 miles in yeah. or something like that. And uh, it was the hottest part of the trip. It was so hot. It was just like could not go uh and we had to wait till it kind of cooled down for a minute and that that's kind of how it was and texas is like that november where we just had to kind of stop where we were at because if i uh, i can see my heart rate going up to 140 yeah and that was scary for me i thought like i need to keep my heart rate at 120 especially yeah you know if i have x amount of miles still to keep going yeah yeah so (laughs) getting getting into you know and like i mentioned before we were following the live tracker i think i don't know how many people you had on the live tracker Mm -hmm. you know yeah, I had like 50 people. But then, but then you had more watching because people would share the link. There's literally people telling me like, oh, yeah, like people from, you know, this state or that city or whatever the case was. Like people that didn't know me um, yeah. telling me like, hey, yeah, like that. They're asking about you because, you know, yeah. like they didn't understand you how, like, you know, what like they, yeah. you stop. Did you give right. up or whatever? Or were you in a, a dead spot or what? And so, uh there were times where I would send like, you know, of course, uh, pictures to the group chat just to let y'all know I'm still going. I understand yeah. that I'm in a dead spot. Like yeah. there's just times where you're going to be in a dead spot for about an hour or two. Yeah. I didn't want people thinking like, oh man, yeah. he, he gave up. Yeah. There would be times where, it would, uh, where it would, uh, also GPS would lose signal. Yeah. So it was still counting the miles and then it would stop. And then all of a sudden an hour later you would see a line and like the mileage count yeah. down the road and, and it would just go straight line to the next point you're at. And so that's just the nature <laughs> of GPS in that area, but that's cool. But so how did it feel when you were getting into Corpus and like you, if you've, if for listeners, if you've been to Corpus, you know, there's a battleship and that's kind of where this, the Lexington, this, yeah, yeah, the Lexington, uh, and that's where the route kind of ends. How did it feel as you were approaching that? I saw, a funny picture of, of a, a marquee sign of a hotel that said something to the effect of like, you're almost there. Oh, that was in Austin. But yeah. Oh, the, was that in Austin? Th- that was in Austin. That oh, was, okay. that was literally like uh, less than 10 miles in. That was like probably five miles in. Um, I asked Leroy to take a picture of me running by there. Uh, but, but as you were getting into Corpus, like how did that feel? Like, were you the last, the, when we got onto the bridge, um, the freeway, um, I don't know what freeway that is. I think it's 35. Uh, and Leroy asked me, do you have another 5k in you? And I said, well, we're less than a mile of 223 miles. And he was like, yeah, but I don't know what it was, but you still have another two and a half more miles in you, or you still have two, two and a half. And I was like, no. I'm done 223 yeah. like you, you can take me to the finish line if you want like this should be it and like that's what my mind was at and he was like no like and for the first time he he put his foot down and he said like no you're gonna you're gonna finish this he was the nice guy he let me sleep he was yeah. taking care of me <laughs> he you know he could have he massaged my feet you saw that yeah. he did. and then finally <laughs> you know he, he acted like a jerk <laughs> at the end and he was like no you're, you're gonna you're gonna walk there you're gonna run there and I was like and I'm glad he did because it would have made me look. You had yeah. you had some pretty cool runners. They're called South Texas Rollers. They're from Corpus, and they actually were waiting up for me until I got there. Um, you had another uh, a pretty beautiful soul that came out there. She was throwing some glow sticks out, and uh, and so 
you know, seeing that she was like, uh, I was like, I have to finish this because yeah. there's people that r- literally either got up real early or stayed up real late. Right. And so for just a quick pass, even. And, yeah. and, and so, you know, if people can do that, I can do another two point something miles. So I, I, sh- I but when I got off the bridge, I had 0.7 of a mile left. Wow. And I literally was like, I'm going to lay down right here for five minutes. And I want you to wake me up in five minutes. I'm going to lay down because I wasn't going to lay down on the freeway. That would have been dangerous. Yeah. So I'm going to lay down on the, on, uh, on the sidewalk. And there's a picture of me. I think that was like the most favorite picture. I got some pretty cool like there's shots. Sweet pictures out there. But uh, the one of me laying down 0.7 away from there, I think that like depicts why I chose like to do the stuff that I love to do is because like that's what I want for myself is to just completely crumble and break uh, right before it ends like that was and that's what like running has been for me is like I I've done some stuff that you know people question like and it's not anything crazy to the aspect of a professional but to an aspect of like you know somebody who really doesn't run or you know, whatever the case is, like, they'd be like, why would you do that? I think I signed Leroy up on a 100K relay, and it was just me and him against a t- teams that had five or six people. And wow. so it was me and him, and he, I that was my idea. I wanted to see how much him and I can push these yeah. teams. And we got pretty good at it. We, we got, like, fifth place. It was at Habanero 100, uh, 100 oh, yeah, yeah. and uh, him and I – uh, we're a relay of one. We call ourselves hot and heavy. <laughs> and, uh, we, we, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, that was, and I was like, I'm surprised he signed up for that. And, uh, yeah, I mean like my, my dream race is to do, you know, bad water, you know, it's, oh, wow. it's, most people are like, you know, I want to do Western States and that yeah. would be cool too, but mine would be like bad water. Mine was 235, 135. 135. Yeah. And I, uh, and it's like something that, you know, it's like, I want to do like that yeah. that would be like something where it's like i want to be able to know that i i gave it my all regardless if it was a dnf or not yeah you know and so um and so that was that and that's how this race was for me it was yeah. like uh i wanted to see where i was i wanted to see how well like i put in a lot of work in a very small amount of time yeah i put a lot of training for this it wasn't like yeah. i got up one day and i was like i'm gonna run 230 224 miles i said i'm gonna get up every day and stick to a plan yeah. that's going to get me ready to run something that's going to be very long, very painful. And yeah. it's going to co- and it's probably going to cost like some injuries or, yeah. or a lot of things. And, and that's what I'm signing up for. Yeah. Uh, I could have signed up to do almost anything else, yeah. you know, but yeah. this was, this was it. Well, and, and it clearly, it was the right thing for the cause. Yeah. It got people's attention. Uh, Quick shout out to your coach. Yes, uh, Corey. Corey Waltering. Yeah, he's a beast of an athlete. Yeah, so yes, he did. That's for North Face. Yeah, he. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And so he, he, you felt fully prepared. He, uh, he. I asked him. I have the. I, te- I took a screenshot of that, and I was like, I want to do something for a nonprofit, and I want to run X amount of miles. Do you think I have it in me to do four months? He's like, it's going to be painful, and the probably you're going to go through it. But yeah, I think you can. And like the beautiful part about his training was like, it was as if like he was literally training me for, for exactly what was about to come nutrition and, uh, pacing, yeah. not well, more or less like getting, get ready for the suck. Like don't cut corners. Yeah. Like he didn't care about like 
you need to do like exact pace at yeah. this exact workout right. and stuff like that. He was like, keep it like, you know, uh, at your hardest and keep it at your easiest. And like, it wasn't like, you know, we were going to get it right into the math of things or whatever. He yeah. was like, because when it comes down to it, this, this run is all about like, you know, how, how are you going to, yeah. yeah. How are you going to take care of yourself yeah, yeah. when you're in the suck? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, that's crazy. Cool. Well, yeah. And I know the importance of a, a coach for something, I mean, even a marathon, but something like this, I just can't imagine. So I think the feeling, uh, though, to answer your question about like when I finished it was I was already like, if it makes sense, when the run was going on, I was already emotional. Yeah. Like, you know, when you're doing it, you're like, I'm doing this like yeah. I'm this is actually happening. Like there's money that's being, uh, uh, you know, yeah, involved in this. Yeah. And then, of course, like you're you're just going and yeah. it's like this is this is now has become a reality and i think like waves of emotion hit so yeah. by the time i finished it uh i think that the you know it's like thank you like i'm yeah. glad it's done now it's like and i was able to find i was able to find a bed and i got into a car after two, two days of not being in a car like it was like cool yeah. to just be in a car for the first time and just I bet like, that first shower felt amazing. Uh, like if I was trying to shower and then I made it into a bath and I yeah. and I fell asleep in the bath. No, I didn't. I didn't fall asleep, but uh, I, I, yeah, it Pretty was close. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Well, it was incredibly inspiring, and just being able to view it from afar, as far as the the amount of people that got behind the the plan online and people that were donating, and I, I talked to one guy that was like, yeah. I, I donated 25 bucks and then, uh, and then I saw, you know, I showed my wife the story and she was like, they owned a, a small business and she was like, Oh, we need to donate more. And like, so they, their business made a donation, That's a so couple cool. hundred bucks, you That's know? So cool. And it's just like people like that, that were just hearing, you know, the story and, and, and people that didn't even meet you, you know, that hadn't had the privilege of sharing miles with you you know, just, it was inspiring everywhere. And so I know that it's not about you. I know it's about your, your mission, but I think it's something that you can be very proud of, man. $17,000. Yeah. And it, so the, there's the, there's the proud aspect of, of having raised enough money for, for uh, what? 17 kids, not, not yeah, just 10, definitely. but also, uh, just the fact that you ran 223 miles. Yeah. I mean, on, on two spectrums, it's something to be very proud of. So, um, uh, it's, I mean, like, I think that there are people definitely proud of me and uh, vice versa. I'm proud of them. And I'm proud of the fact that like, I was able to go through with this and, uh, really just commit to it. That was yeah. one of the things. So, yeah. so my mission, uh, you know, our mission on this podcast, my wife, Ashley and, and myself, is to get people, inspire people to do hard things, uh, to get out of their comfort zone, to do things that, like, I mean, you know, not everyone can run 223 miles, but to do things that literally puts you into the, just the, you know, the most difficult, I guess, aspects of your life and being able to come out on the other end better. So what advice would you have for someone who maybe has the goal to make an impact on a cause, whether it's fundraising or whether it's, sharing their story or something is, is something that you've done, you know, sh sharing your story or, or becoming vulnerable or, uh, or raising money or doing something physical. What advice would you give someone to, that's just maybe still sitting on the couch trying to figure out how to do it? I think one of the things that like, uh, it's all gotta be honesty with yourself. 
Yeah. Uh, I think that that's been the main thing for me. I, I've told plenty of people who've asked me about this is like, what, what final thing would you want to give our, our listeners? And that's always been the thing is like the, it all starts with me being honest with myself. I want to, if I want to really do this, do I really have everything that I have to, to put on the table for this? Yeah. Like, am, am I say, am I going to just, cause it's so easy to sign up for a race. It's so yeah. easy to do that. And it's like, you know, a couple of clicks of the button, here's my right. money. And then you just go, but you being completely honest to yourself and asking yourself, like, you know, am I, am I capable of actually putting the work into this? Like, and if you're, if you're completely honest with yourself, you'll know what your capabilities are, what your boundaries are, what, Mm -hmm. what it is that you're willing to invest into this. I mean, because I have a lot going on. It's not just, because I have no life. I have school. Yeah. I have a full-time job. I mean, yeah, we didn't even talk about it. And lot so, of that. Yeah, yeah, I mean like, and so it's like that, those are things that are very demanding of my schedule. And so, uh, I had to ask myself, am I willing to give up my social life? Yeah. My social life was very, like very, very minimal. Um, yeah. I think friends that really love me and understand me believe that like, Hey, like he can be here for X amount of time, but yeah. he's got a schedule <laughs> to, yeah, early I got to get up uh, early. Um, and then of that. course, as your training goes, you got to ask yourself, are you cheating yourself? You know, yeah. um, are you making, are you making the proper moves that are really worth investing into, um, in order to get right. your dreams done with, uh, are you being honest with others? You know, are you cutting yeah. corners? You know, I had to be completely honest with people and tell them, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And then doing that, kind of open the doors to people who do know what they're doing yeah. and they, they gave them the chance to help me out. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for, for talking with me today. And, uh, like I said already, it's incredibly inspiring. I'm, I'm privileged to know you as a friend now, uh, and uh, have <laughs> yeah. shared some runs with you and some miles. And I look forward to that in the future. I look forward to what your next goal is, what your next big thing, uh, slowly uh, building maybe up. hopefully it's bad water. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully it's bad water. Yeah. Something. I got, back. some, I got some I friends know. that might be crazy enough to do it. So, yeah. They, so, cool, yeah. Man. Well, thanks so much for talking with me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely.